Everybody does it differently. Now, I love them when they're already turned on. I call that dummy proof. And uh, some of us preachers need the dummy proof stuff because um, I get up there, I forget about the stupid sound system. I'm just ready to go. A bunch of sinners out there, you're ready to rip it up and uh, forget about the dumb microphone. So I just wanted to make sure uh, that it was on. So um, I think we're set and ready to go. And uh, looking forward to this opportunity. Uh, I think some of you know this that are older students, but for you freshmen, i got to let you in on something. Uh, Baptist College of Ministry, you probably maybe didn't figure this out, but we are the cutting edge of technology. And we have a computer program that we have developed that actually uh, lays out the seating chart according to your spiritual well-being. And um, we put in certain data, and uh, then it lays it out. Now, it does make mistakes every once in a while, but it's pretty foolproof. It basically starts right here, the Monetius students, and then it fans out from here. And uh, uh, so your, your, your students that are doing the best are the farthest from the preacher. Now, that's Matt Essienko over here as an undergraduate, and that's Hannah Schweitz over here. Both who traveled with me, that's why they are... <laughs> Uh, farthest away, and uh, so uh, anyway, that's uh, kind of the way it goes. Now, Jonathan traveled with me, but it didn't stick, okay? So um, he's a little far. He's made some progress back, so we're grateful for that progress. We'll take it. Uh, so, um, uh, so some of you freshmen, yeah, we know more about you than you realize. Okay, just wanted to get that cleared up, and uh, so that's why the closer you are, hopefully uh, you'll not be able to check out, okay? And don't worry, if you check out, I'll help you check back in, okay? So um, no problem there. Okay, I always have believed this. If a preacher puts you to sleep, we have the right to wake you up. And uh, that's kind of fair, isn't it? I think it's fair. Okay, I've never done it, but I have really thought it would be cool working with teenagers is to have a nice big super soaker under the pulpit that nobody can see. Wait for the first guy goes off, hit him right between the eyes. But uh, I haven't done it yet. One of these days I probably will when I'm old enough to get away with it. But... Um, but anyway, I, uh, I'll get, I think I'm getting there, and it's kind of nice getting old. People, uh, when you were young, people, uh, I'd preach, you know, and people say, well, he's young, he'll get over it. And it's kind of nice. Now I'm getting on the other side, oh, he's old, you know that how it goes. So uh, he's old school, we'll let it go. But um, uh, somewhere in there from between 30 and about 55, they actually take you seriously for what you're saying, and you get in trouble, okay, for preaching the Bible. Okay, but anyway, that kind of goes with the turf. If you preach the Bible, not everybody will like it. I hate to tell you that, but that is the truth. But it is uh, good to be here, and I wanted to uh, just do something a little bit different here this morning. And uh, I feel like the Lord would have me uh, deal with this. Uh, I, um, I tell people I wrote my first book, but I really don't like to say that because I may have written my only book. But anyway, because uh, the first book assumes there's a second, okay, which there may not be. But um, uh, somebody might ask, well, how long did it take you to write that book? And the answer would be uh, 59 years plus years. Because it actually takes a lifetime to reach a point where you understand a truth. In a certain sense, it takes you that long to get to the point where you feel like you could uh, now articulate a truth that's been a blessing to you. And I want to just share a little bit of the journey behind the book 0100. And in doing so, uh, I want us to go through a book that probably had the greatest formative outside of the Word of God is a little book, Victory in Christ, uh, by Charles Trumbull. I read this several years ago, probably 20-some years ago, maybe between 15 and 20, I don't know. But uh, this book that uh, we still emphasize, but perhaps it's not like it was years ago when probably every student had read Victory in Christ. I'm just curious how many of you have. Raise your hands, please. Okay, several of you. That would certainly make sense. And uh, this particular book, I'm going to walk through it here in just a moment, a little bit of it, uh, definitely form it, started the journey down that road. And a, and a little chapter called Victory Without Trying. 
uh, is um, quite a stunning title to a book and, is, and has really drawn a lot of controversy, believe it or not. And I'll explain that here in a moment. But I remember reading the book, being stirred by it. I really spent a lot of time in the book, probably read parts of it over and over again. And then several years ago on a, some, uh, I think it was on a Sharper Iron blog, they had taken uh, a look through Sharper Iron just to find out what the issues are, because you usually don't agree with what uh, the conclusions are. But uh, just ask Brother Himes, he can tell you about Sharper Iron. But um, uh, he's been buried on that particular website uh, so uh, years ago and defending his grandfather. But uh, I remember wa- witnessing that before I knew Brother Himes. But uh, anyway, there was, a, there was a blog that came up that basically was trying to, t- how much of the Christian life is us and how much is, you know, how this victory without trying. And I remember that it really got me thinking, okay, now how do we articulate this? How do we parse this? Because most of the people piled on the article and disagreed with it. I would have agreed with the article posted, but a large amount of people disagreed with it. And there was a long, you know, uh, uh, blogging after it. And it got me to thinking, how can we articulate this in a way that will be clear because surely when people are living the Christian life, they're moving. There's action. There's verbs taking place. So how do you reconcile that with the truth that the Christian life is zero us, 100% God? And that's when the, really the truth came alive to me that what we're talking about is not physical strength. All of us have physical strength. We have moved muscles. But uh, spiritual strength is something completely different. And spiritual strength is something in and of ourselves none of us have. We don't have any of it. But Jesus has everything you'll ever need. And that simple dichotomy between our strength, which is physical, and his, which is spiritual, uh, really helped me articulate, okay, this is what the Christian life looks like. One of these days I'd like to write uh, a sanctification book uh, to adults uh, that is entitled Sanctification for Dummies. Okay, that's, that's the next book. I, I always say the next. The next sanctification book I thought about writing, and I thought a little subtitle, Sanctification for Dummies and Deacons and Sunday School Teachers, etc. Okay, but anyway, uh, I just, I'm just teasing. But um, I like titles like that that grabs people's attention. But, um, uh, but my point is simply this, that I think many times people get so complicated with sanctification they forget the simplicity of it. And remember that one of Satan's greatest attempts in your life is to corrupt the simplicity that's in Christ. He wants to make complicated what is actually simple. Have you ever noticed in witnessing to people that whatever salvation paradigm they believe, it's complicated? They can't even quite tell you how they're going to get there. But it's complicated. But the gospel cuts through the complication and makes it simple. It's just trust in Jesus to do what you cannot do. And last night, Pastor and I had the privilege of, of talking to a man who was 84 years old. And you know what I was struck with? The simplicity of the gospel. He could hardly hear, but he heard enough, and the light bulbs went on. And it was a great delight. Uh, the most unusual salvation prayer, I think, that I've ever been involved with, because he wasn't, his, be- his head wasn't bowed, his eyes weren't closed. He was looking right at me. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, there is simplicity uh, in the gospel, and there's also simplicity in the Christian life. If the Christian life seems complicated to you, then you're missing it. <laughs> it's actually quite simple. And so... Um, I want us to start there in the book of Colossians, a verse that obviously I use there in the book, 0100, but I'd like to, I'm not going to preach the message 0100. What I'd like us to do is uh, in just a moment walk through this book, and I want us to uh, just to get a few thoughts about it, because there in a certain sense it's the prelude. You know, I, I, uh, I know sometimes uh, you'll, uh, uh, you'll, you'll understand a story, and then somebody writes a story that is the preview to that story. And uh, that's, in a certain sense, what we're doing here. So Colossians 1, verse 29, the Apostle Paul helps us understand ministry 
when he says, under the words, uh, our, uh, the, uh, the strength aspect in ministry, whereunto I also labor, striving. Okay, he says, I'm laboring. That's a verb, striving, the participle, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Clearly, this does not teach passivity. Years, uh, several years ago, I went to a nearby Christian college. You're all going to figure out who it is, but at least on the recording, it should stay vague. Uh, I went to a nearby Christian college for some uh, lectures. And I happened to go to a workshop where a guy basically dismantled this book. He basically uh, tried to, to say this guy is off. The only problem was he, um, he presented a straw man. He did not understand what Trumbull was saying. So I engaged him in the email uh, correspondence, which eventually he didn't want to continue on. Because I was trying to say, you, you misrepresented the man. That's not, I've read this book multiple times, it's not what you say he's saying. He had the idea that Trumbull was teaching passivity. Trumbull is not teaching passivity. <laughs> he is teaching Christ's activity through you and me. And uh, so sometimes people misunderstand it. Now, I'm going to just uh, kind of read through a few things here. Because I want each of you to go home. Some of you freshmen, there's been some awakenings in your heart. You're beginning to understand some things. But I do hope you'll go home with a sense of understanding of the simplicity that's in Christ and how you can grow and be used of God over Christmas vacation. Because your freshman vacation is a very important vacation, freshman. I'm going to tell you why. Because you're going to set tones. In fact, let me just ask this, and I know this is maybe an embarrassing question to answer, but I hope you will do it, because I certainly am raising my hand back in my college years. How many would admit, and if you're a freshman, you can still raise the hand because high school may have been the same dynamic, but how many would admit your, your Christmas break has in the past at times been a time of defeat? Can I see your hands, please? Can I see your hands? Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me at all. And often what happens, friends, as you go back, you're going to be fighting a paradigm of defeat because that's what you think of. You go home, you get defeated. So it's very important for you to realize that you don't have to go home and be defeated even though you may have been for five Christmas vacations in a row. This one couldn't be different. So that's, uh, uh, so I want us to understand a few things about the simplicity that's in Christ. And I just got burdened to go through this. And one of the reasons I'm going through it, at the very end of it, it talks about the perils of the Spirit-filled life. In fact, I will say for this book, probably the worth of the book is the last chapter, just dealing with the perils. And it's very helpful. But um, uh, I've uh, got things underlined in the book, so I uh, just want to go through this quickly. Hey, uh, just read, the, uh, read a few things, make some comments. Jesus, you know, makes two offers to everyone. He offers to set us free from the penalty of our sin. And he offers to set us free from the power of our sin. Now, most of you know that. The first is salvation. The second is what we call sanctification. Now, the problem is, many of us know that in our brains, but it has not yet translated to our life. You know you're delivered from the penalty of sin, but you're not so sure about being delivered from the power of sin. You know why? Because you get defeated on a regular basis, right? Okay, now why? Okay, what is it about the Christian life or the spirit-filled life that we miss? Why do we have defeat? Well, something here that I think is uh, interesting, um, talking about this life, this victorious, victorious life, uh, Trumbull says, this miracle is sustained and continued in our life only by our continuing moment-by-moment -moment faith in our Savior for His moment-by-moment -moment victory over the power of our sin. But He Himself will give us that faith and will continue that faith in us moment-by-moment. -moment. We can and must, as Francis Havergal has so truly said, entrust Him, entrust to Him our trust. Interesting thought, isn't it? If you don't have a lot of faith, you can certainly trust Him and, of course, the Word of God is uh, there to, to, to nurture our faith. 
What are the conditions of this victorious life? I love what Trumbull says, only two. Only two. And they are very simple. Surrender and faith. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Over the years, as you teach, as I teach or someone teaches, the fact that you can live in victory and you don't have to be defeated, you can many times see that some people don't get it. Now, why would somebody not get something that is absolutely as simple as that? Surrender to the will of God and, of course, depend upon His grace to live it. Now, many of you know that the byline of the degeneration is simply four words. <laughs> four words. Okay, anybody know what they are? Total surrender, total dependence. Why are those four words the byline of the degeneration? Because that's the truth of the spirit-filled life. Zero percent my will, 100 percent His will. Zero percent dependence on my strength, 100% dependence on his spiritual strength because I don't have any, any of myself, but he has all I need and he lives in me and can enable me. Okay, now with that understanding, think about this. I've heard it said, said and, and maybe you may think this too simplistic, but I think bottom line, if we were to parse it right, we, we'd agree with it. There's only one thing that causes people to not get a hold of the victorious life, and that is sin. Now why? Don't miss this. When you and I surrender to the will of God, we are surrendering to God to deal with our sin like God wants us to deal with it. And there are some, I've even seen this with BCM students. Occasionally, thank the Lord, most of our students do very well. But occasionally there are situations where I get extremely burdened. And I don't know, I, sometimes I know this sounds funny, but I'll get a migraine from time to time. Some of you know my daughter Annalise, she got my genes on that deal. But I'll get a migraine sometime and I'll look at my wife and I'll name a name of a former student and I'll say, I've got a such and such headache. Now, some of you don't understand that. There's some of us, when you leave, you do not leave our hearts. So that when you go off, it burdens us. And it grieves us. When I hear a student is flirting with Calvinism, I'm thinking to myself, how can they do that? I thought they got a hold of the life of faith. I thought they got a hold of the simplicity in Christ. How could they turn to a theological system that minimizes that? Well, the answer is this. Something is in their life that's not right. And I'm just telling some of you guys right now, you get off, you can expect me when I probably won't call you because I like face-to-face -face way better, but I'm going to have to come to you and say, okay, when's the last time you looked at pornography? Because something isn't right. It may not be that issue, it may be another issue. But it is sin that takes people out of the simplicity that's in Christ. They can't get it. They don't get it. What they once got, they don't get. Remember my dad pastored Calvary Baptist Church in um, Durango, Colorado. and He actually started the church and then within just a few years had the largest church on the western slope of Colorado. I think they ran 250 on a Sunday morning. I was just a little thing at the time. And I can still remember the packed out church and still remember people being baptized and the absolute buzz of excitement of just people getting saved, God working in that church. We'll make a long story short. Um, my dad left that church and went to Marquette Manor and I did, while for a, did okay for a while and several people out of that church have served the Lord for a lifetime out of that church. But uh, long story, they got a pastor in, they had a bunch of trouble and... and um, uh, one of the, 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 the men there that got it totally transformed under my dad's ministry uh, got, got upset with the preacher. Now this is Durango, Colorado, so this is a little different than the ministries you'll probably be in. But it was an old rancher, I won't say his name, but an old rancher 
uh, uh, got a letter from the pastor, and uh, the letter was not a good letter. I don't know what the, the letter said, but it wasn't good. So the rancher threw on his six guns, okay, so his gun, guns off, walked into the preacher's office, pulled out his gun, handed the letter to the preacher and said, eat it. Now, most of you probably won't have that happen in your ministry. The first thing is don't write letters like that that you have to eat, okay? That's the, that's the moral of the story. Well, the point is, the pastor actually did eat the letter. I think it's kind of funny, but sitting there with an old cowboy six-gun right at him. And, uh, well, you know, I remember my dad saying about that man, he's lost his discernment. Here's a man who was, grew exponentially into my dad's ministry. But when we went back to visit, my dad could tell there was something missing. And I'll tell you what was missing. The Holy Spirit. Oh, he was still in him, but he was grieved with his bitterness. And it's not handling things correctly. And you know what happened to that man? He was one of the most discerning deacons my dad had. Do you know what he had? His discernment went right out the window. I am telling you, young man, young ladies, you get out of this institution and start messing around with sin, every truth you've learned here will just go right out the window. And one day you'll believe that which is absolutely, completely antithetical to what you're being taught here. A theology that downplays faith does not exalt it and lift it up, as the Bible does. And all I'm just simply saying, this is a big deal. So here's the point. I sometimes wonder why, there's two things I wonder. Number one, okay, here's a student day. I thought they got it because I certainly saw life change, and I think they did get it. But then they get out and go for other things. You know what I think? Somehow, something got in, he didn't deal with something correctly. There, and again, I'll go back. We've been talking, of course, about some of these wounds that come out. Of, I think sometimes that plays in unresolved bitternesses that maybe get rekindled along the way, and et cetera, et cetera. I understand that's part of it. That's sin, too. Bitterness is sin. People that won't deal with the uh, issues of uh, the past. Maybe they had some victory here, but go back and, and take back the, and get the, let Satan have the ground that they once uh, got reclaimed. But let the bitterness come, come back and the beachhead comes back into their life and Satan launches attacks from. Certainly that can occur. So there's young people that are here, get it, if I can say have an awakening, understand the simplicity that's in Christ, and then allow sin to come in their life. They lose their discernment and you're just thinking, how did that happen? Number two, young people that never got it. You know why? They never dealt with their sin while they were a student here. They played the game. Now, sooner or later, you can learn how to play the game anywhere. You can learn what you need to say, what you need to do to get by without really experiencing life change. And you can do that. Even if Baptist College Ministry, as much as we try, by the grace of God, to let that not happen, I can't see into your heart. And I will tell you, obviously, sometimes I can be concerned about a student, but I don't know exactly what's going on in your heart. But I'm telling you this. If you don't biblically deal with your sin, you will not get a hold of what you need to get a hold of. You see, surrender is the key. And surrender is not a work. Surrender is just saying, okay, God, I'm saying yes to everything you're telling me. That's it. I'm saying yes to it all. If you're saying I need to go and tell my mom and dad stuff I've been doing behind their back, I'm doing it. Some of you freshmen need to go home and sit down with your parents and you need to unload the truck and tell them all the garbage you've been doing behind their back. And you haven't done it yet and you better do it because if you don't, I don't care what preachers come across this uh, platform, I don't care how much power they have, I don't care how much blessing, I don't care what prayer meetings you're in where God shows up, if you don't deal with your sin, you are going to miss it. You won't get it. You won't fully get what you need to get. But I can guarantee you, I can have all kinds of students stand and give you a testimony that when they got right with God and they called home and got some things right and they cleared the deck and obeyed the Holy Spirit as he was dealing with them about their sin, that was the moment they took off. And I can give you testimony after testimony after testimony of former students. And I can in some cases take you to the very moment it happened. 
Because either I was there or I was close. So I want you to understand, when Trumbull is talking about surrender, don't, don't, don't just say, well, you know, I need to surrender to go anywhere. Sure, that's true. But the first surrender you've got to make is willingness to deal with all of your sin. Biblically, like God wants you to deal with it. And I'm talking appropriately. There's a time to deal with it. There's the right people to deal with it. And obviously there's plenty of people here that can counsel you. Hopefully it's your, you can start with your parents. If it involves a school, obviously you've got to deal with the school. If it involves another institution, maybe a Christian school back home, sure, got to deal with it. But my point is maybe it's a place you used to work. I don't know. But the point is if you don't do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, it doesn't work. Surrender is simply this. God, whatever you want, I'll do it. And we're not just talking about going to Africa. No offense, Alexander, I'm not sure why poor Africa gets the bum rap. But anyway, I think it's because most people think there's a bunch of cannibals and you're going to swing from vines and eat bananas. But anyway, so um, it's actually more civilized than that. Not much, but it is a little bit more civilized than that. Okay, but the point I'm making, friends, it's not just a surrender to go wherever God wants you to go. It's a surrender right now. And some of you just got to, you're not, if you're not getting it, if you're sitting here saying, what are they trying to teach us? What are they trying to get? And you're not experiencing the victory in your Christian life, then I'm just trying to tell you, it's not rocket science. There's some lack of surrender in your life. There's something you're not willing to say yes to Jesus about. And let me just simply say, you're not, it's not the kind of thing where you're going to say, ah, oh, I wonder what it is. You know what it is. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit, God is light, there's no darkness. He's not playing games with you. You know. So all I want to help you understand is surrender is a big deal. And you can go through a, a full semester here and, and not be closer to God. I'm telling you, you can do that because we can't magically change your heart. There's something inside of each one of you that is called a free will, and you have a responsibility to believe God. I can't make you believe God. So, um, so understanding that, uh, then it moves on to the second one, and that's dependence. Well, you hear that a lot. But I don't think you'll totally understand that until um, you get a little surrender. Now, back, uh, back, let's, got surrender. I think you understand that. Now, dependence. You say, well, preacher, sometimes I really struggle with depending upon God. Uh, I, I, there's many things we could say, but I suppose there's two things that I would try to encourage you with that are absolute essential to nurturing your faith. There's two sides to faith. There's our responsibility to believe God, and then there's God's supernatural strengthening of our faith. I, I, right now, uh, the Bible says that in the, uh, Romans chapter number 4, that when Abraham believed God and started praising God, God strengthened his faith. Okay, it's passive in voice. I don't have time to go into it. So there's two sides to it. There's our taking a step out, believing God, and then there's God's uh, strengthening of our faith. Okay, so there's two sides of this particular. Obviously, the one we focus on is our responsibility to trust God, just to believe Him. Now, there's two dynamics here that I have found nurture your faith. The one's obvious because it's a clear statement of Scripture, and that is, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, let me just simply say, if you are not a person of the book, don't be shocked if you struggle to believe. Because faith is not based on nothing. Faith is based on something, and the something it's based on, one of the things, is who God is, who is revealed in the Word of God, and His Word, the things that He says. You can't trust what you don't know. So if you're not a person of the book, you won't know what to trust. I put it this way. 
you have got to fill the tank of faith. And the only way to fill the tank of faith is to uh, put the Bible in and uh, memorize it, meditate on it, read it, uh, nurture it, and uh, spend time. It takes time, okay, time in the Word of God. No doubt about it. We know this. I think I've given this illustration before here, but um, it, might, it might help you with this deal. And uh, Several years ago, probably 15, maybe something like that, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it would have been 2004, so it was 15 years ago. We bought, uh, Minutemen bought a Chevy van, a brand new 2004 Chevy van and a one-ton van. And uh, we got it in Michigan. Uh, long story, it was brand new. I'm driving it back, and I, I asked, uh, I can't remember, one of our team members uh, had to take it back, and I said, make sure you fill it up in Indiana, because at that time, Indiana was cheaper, way cheaper than Illinois and Wisconsin. So I said, fill it up. If you're ever involved in the ministry, you'll do stuff like this, okay? Fill it up in Indiana because it's cheaper. That's not true anymore, but uh, fill it up in Indiana. And so uh, I assumed he, he did it. You'll learn this when you work with college students. Don't assume they do everything you ask them to do. Okay, so I said fill it up. I thought he was going to do it. He didn't do it. Okay, so when I got here, I thought I had a van that was full. Now, the 2004 Chevy van has a gas gauge that is completely opposite of a 1998 GMC van. Okay, uh, that's the same company in case you didn't know. And uh, they had switched the gas gauge. I can't remember which, but one full was here and one full was here. Okay, that's exactly, they just reversed it. I guess they like to play with people's minds. Okay, so they reversed the gas gauge. So I get in the 2004 Chevy van and I, I didn't even really look for the F. You know, F and E aren't too far different. You know what I'm talking about? And anyway, I, I looked there and I thought, oh, it's full. It's full. Gas gauge is right where it needs to be. That red line is right where it needs to be. So I get in the Chevy van. I'm driving down 894, I think south of 94, somewhere before 43, uh, peels off. And somewhere in there, the van stopped working. I pull it over to the side, try to start it several times. It won't start. Well, fortunately, it's a brand new van. I just pull out the number because, you know, they give you one-year roadside service. And I call it up. And I called up the dealer. Actually, I just called up the dealership, the Chevy dealership real close here. And I was not happy. I was not walking in the spirit, okay? I was not happy. I said, listen, man, I brought a brand new Chevy van. It won't start. Man, I'm on the side of the road. Like, what are you guys selling, okay? I mean, once the government took over, you ruined your engine. No, I didn't say that. I think things like that. So, uh... I said, no problem, they're real nice, we'll send down a, uh, so they did, they sent down a wrecker, you know, and pulls the van up, you know, and I can't remember, I think somebody came to pick me up, take me home, and they said, we'll give you a call, as soon as we found out what's wrong. That was in the morning, I believe. In the afternoon, I got a call from the Chevy dealership, I'll never forget this call. They said, uh, oh, we got your van fixed. I said, that's good, I was still a little frustrated. I said, well, what was wrong with it? They said, sir, it was out of gas. Have you ever felt like an idiot? <laughs> I remember driving over to the dealership thinking this, and I, I, you know, it was one of those moments where, I mean, while I was picking that up, I felt like every mechanic in the garage <laughs> was looking at me and said, there's an idiot, you know. <laughs> that was one of the few times in my life I did not give a gospel tract to the people there. <laughs> in fact, I was tempted to say I was from such and such a Catholic church, but anyway, I... <laughs> I didn't do that. But, um, you know, what was my problem? My problem was this. I had a brand new vehicle. It was a great vehicle. Nothing wrong with it. There was only one problem. I didn't have any fuel. Young person, if you do not fill the tank with the Word of God, you won't have any fuel. You wonder why you run out of gas. 
You can't depend upon God if you don't know what to depend on. I'm sure we could have multiple testimonies this morning if I asked you, tell me a time in your life when you were in trouble and you had your devotions and God gave you something. And you believed God and it just took the, the anxiety away, you got peace, you walked out of there knowing God was with you. I probably many of you could give a testimony like that and many of you multiple times. Why? Because you understand the fact of refueling. You've got to refuel. But there's a second aspect to it. The first thing that it nurtures our faith is the Word of God. And number two, the second thing that nurtures our faith is the Word of God. You say, you already said that. Well, no, actually I didn't because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So now I'm talking about Jesus. You with me on that? There is nothing I will tell you like spending time with Jesus to encourage your faith. I'm not talking about having your devotions. You all know you can check off the list, read your verses, have your prayer time, and not meet with Jesus. You can do it. It's no fun. It's like sheer torture, but you can do it. Grit your teeth, you can do it. But have you ever noticed when Jesus shows up, your faith is like, the gauge goes way up. You have to meet with God. This is an emphasis I did not get in college. I got the emphasis on the Word, and I'm grateful for that. But I am telling you, friends, where the Word of God goes together, it's the sword of the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit as well. I have a relative of mine who's on a journey, and his journey thrills me. He's in a different world than I'm in. Uh, it's uh, uh, on my wife's side. But this particular relative said he's been noticing that there's a downplay of the Holy Spirit in Reformed theology. He said, I just read an article that said Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures that the Holy Spirit is being replaced by the Scriptures. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing the Holy Scriptures. I'm just simply saying, if you're going to be touched by the Holy Scriptures, you need to be in touch with the author. <laughs> they go together. Third person of the Trinity has been de, kind of de-emphasized. The article obviously was taking our position and, and explaining the concern that, uh, that the Holy Spirit's being minimized, pushed out. So these are important things, friends, but here's, here's what I'm saying. In order for you to live the victorious life, it's real simple. You've got to be surrendered to the will of God, saying yes to Jesus. And number two, a moment by moment looking to Jesus to enable you to do what you know you cannot do. And that, of course, comes as you nurture your faith. You have to nurture your faith. You can't just grit your teeth and say, I'm going to believe. You need something to believe, which is obviously the person of God and the scriptures. I was counseling recently and talking with somebody who was really in a quandary and I could tell just in anxiety and in just struggling. And as I talked with this young person, I said, have you ever met with God? Do you know what it is to meet with God? And they smiled real big and said, yeah, I do know what it is to meet with God. And I asked them this question. I said, when you are meeting with God, is the problem we're talking about, how does that problem, how do you view that problem? Because I knew the problem had been there for a while. I said, how does that problem look when you're really meeting with God? I will never forget his answer. No hesitation back with a big smile. He said this. Oh, it didn't seem very big at all. There's something about when Jesus shows up, your problems just get really minimized, don't they? So I want you to understand, friends, this is what, uh, this is what, the uh, Christian life is supposed to be surrender and faith. Now, I like this statement right here. It says, there is no victory without surrender, but there may be surrender without victory. Do you know you can surrender to the will of God, but if you attempt to do the will of God in your own strength, guess what? You won't have victory. 
So the dependence aspect is very essential. It's not just total surrender, and it's not just total dependence. I think it's my brother John who uses the illustration of a rowboat. Some of you have heard this, but there's two oars in the water. One is surrender, one is dependence. How many have ever been in a rowboat? Okay, several of you have. Okay, great. If you only use one oar on one side of the boat, what happens? Oh, you've done it. Okay, yeah, okay. For me, I, I, I can't rowboat like this. It's always like this. It's, you know, it's kind of like that. But anyway, and uh, so um, now I thought, why? Okay, have you ever thought about this? Okay, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And then, okay, God, I'm going to try as hard as I can to do it. Does that work? No, you go in circles. Or the other one, God, i got really good plans for my life. Some of you in this category. God, i got really good plans for my life. Now, all I need you to do is I'm going to depend on you to do what I want to do. Does that work? Doesn't work either. The only way it works is, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm doing I'm saying yes to the Holy Spirit. I don't care if it's dealing with my sin, getting right with my parents. I don't care if it's getting clean over here. I don't care if it's being honest in a prayer meeting. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then, God, I'm trusting you for the strength to do it. That's when you move forward. That's what Trumbull is trying to help us understand here. And... Um, so I'm going to, that's chapter one, so I think we'll, we'll close it down there. But here's the thing I want to challenge each of you with as we leave here this morning. Is the Holy Spirit right now putting his finger on some part of your life and saying that's not surrendered? I want you to understand something. You are not going to get a hold of this truth of victory in Christ until you deal with that issue. You've got to say yes to God about everything. Now, you have to understand, sometimes you'll say yes to God, and that's not the way it goes. I've had some students here. I remember one young man surrendered to be a Bible translator, but that's not where God eventually led him. But God knew he needed to surrender to do something. And when he surrendered, God said, no, that's not where I want you to go. But you needed to be willing. See, the point is you need to be willing to do whatever God wants you to do. He may guide you a tad differently in life, but you need to be willing to do whatever God wants you to do. Is there anything in your heart right now you're not really willing to do? Is there any sin you're not really willing to biblically deal with? Is there any sin you've asked God to forgive you a million times? Do you know why kids ask God to forgive them a million times? It's because um, there's another step they need to take. You know why they still feel guilty? Many times it's because they haven't yet taken the step to confess and forsake. They've asked God to forgive them for doing it, but they've never gone to mom and dad and said, you know, mom and dad, I did something behind your back, and I've never come clean with you, but I'm going to come clean with you, and I want to forsake this sin. It's like I tell sometimes young people. You're listening to music you shouldn't do, shouldn't be listening to. Okay, if you're listening to it there in the home with some earbuds or earphones, take those earbuds, earphones, hand them to your mom and dad and say, hey, I've been listening to stuff that I have no business listening to. I'm done with this. I can't sneak it anymore, so here you go. Now everything I listen to has got to be out in the open. What they're doing is confessing and forsaking. See, that's the idea. I don't want to go back. Young person, I want to ask you a question. You've got a secret sin in your life you keep falling on, falling on. I want to ask you a question. Have you reached the point where you don't want to go back? Because that's surrender. I don't want to go back. And when you don't want to go back, you will do everything you can to forsake it. If it means getting accountable here, dealing with this, getting rid of uh, uh, this uh, potential, this uh, opportunity that seems to make itself because of the situation. I mean, whatever it may, might be like for earphones or whatever it might be, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to get rid of those out of my life. I'm going to deal with that a little bit more as we come along. But the point I want you to understand this morning is this semester is not going to do you a whole lot of good unless you get, walk away from surrender and faith. 
Listen, if you're the kind that has a bad attitude and you're always complaining about something, let me just put you in on something. The rest of your life, there's always something to complain about. Did you know that? Until you get to heaven, some of you, when you get to heaven, will complain about heaven. I'm telling you, you got the truth. If you didn't get a glorified body, you'd complain about it there. All right, man, there's too much gold around here. I can't see, you know. Hey, man, what about these pearly gates? Man, we're just wasting money. What's, you would find something to complain about. I'm talking to some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You know why the reason I know that? It's because you have no clue about surrender. And you have no clue about dependence. Because you know what takes care of, take, takes care of a complaining spirit? I'm going to tell you what it is. Trusting God that he knows what he's doing. That's it. It's like this. You know, when Jesus um, was confronted with um, the cross, he basically said, shall I not take the cup of my father and drink it? Now I want to ask you a question. Who stirred that cup? Satan. Satan is the one the Bible says crucified the Lord of glory. Do you agree with me on that? And yet by the time it comes to Jesus, he said, shall I not take the cup of my father and drink it? You say, how does that work? I will tell you, friend, Satan may stir your cup, but God knows all about it. You drink it and trust God to take it and work it together for good. You track it with me on this deal? I don't understand that, except to say that the only thing that gets rid of bitterness and a complaining spirit is faith. And every complainer in this room, I'm telling you right now, you don't get it. I'm not trying to be unkind. You don't get it. And every one of you that hears people complain, you need to say in your mind, they don't get it. I need to pray for them. I'm not trying to be unkind, but you don't, when you, it's like this. The Bible says, be anxious for anybody now. I hate to tell you this, do a Greek study, you'll find it means nothing. Ask Dr. Paul. He can help you out with it if you're really struggling with it. I'm not even supposed to be anxious about my Christian life in the sense that I'm not supposed to get uh, in unbelief about it. See, some of you really don't have faith that God's going to change you. That's anxiety, wrong kind of anxiety. It's unbelieving. It's my point. And all I'm trying to challenge you with, some of you just need to get with the program. I'm not trying to be unkind, but I am honestly, if I can say this, and I hope you don't take it wrong, I'm getting sick and tired of graduates who simply move away from what they were taught here. And it's nothing to do with what they're taught here. It has everything to do with what's taught in this book. And thank God it's few and far between, and I know some of you don't know everything, but I'm telling you, and like I said, it grieves me, and sometimes I don't handle the grief right. I get, like I said, get a migraine because I'm thinking, how could this happen? Well, I'll tell you how I know it's happened. Something's not right. It's not right. Don't play games with this, friends. There are enough young people in this room to change the world, I believe, with all my heart because you're pretty much losers, but I found that if Jesus is in you, he can do it. You know what I'm saying? Worst kid in this room could be used of God if you just stop your unbelief and start believing God. And some of you in this room need to help kids stop being unbelieving. Don't pat an unbeliever on the back. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about unbelieving believers. Say, hey, listen, let's trust God about this. It's like this. Did God die? Did I miss the funeral? What's going on? Some of you need to say stuff like that. Because I want to tell you, friends, it's simple. It's not hard. The, the Christian life is not hard. Laboring, striving according to his working, which worketh in me. It's a total surrender to the will of God and a total dependence on his strength to do it. Now, we'll continue our journey tomorrow. But uh, let's go ahead and have heads bowed, eyes closed.